When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I am Dave Hellman and just another slow news week in the world's greatest reality TV show. We call it the NFL. It's been what? Two days since we've had an episode, had a high profile firing bills, offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey out after that loss to Denver on Monday night, Deshaun Watson also out for the year, undergoing season ending surgery to his shoulder. Just, Another quarterback to be replaced. Another high-profile firing as the league turns. What else is new? Oh, did I mention best Thursday night game of the year? Forget forget some of the snoozers we've had. We've got Bengals, Ravens, AFC North grudge match. We'll get into all of that. But as I alluded to, a plenty busy week in the news cycle. And it was so perfectly timed because on Thursdays, we talked to our good buddy, NFL insider Peter Schrager. This is this week's Cheat Sheet presented by Honda. We got into everything with Peter from Ken Dorsey to Deshaun Watson. Also talked about the fun brewing out in Arizona with Cardinals offensive coordinator Drew Petzing working with Kyler Murray now. Plenty to catch up on in this week's Cheat Sheet. Check it out. All right, Peter. It's one of those weeks where every time you wake up, there's a new news cycle happening, which I was was already planning on talking to you about Ken Dorsey being out in Buffalo. I definitely want to get to that. But an even bigger story happening in the time since Deshaun Watson undergoing season ending surgery on his shoulder. He's done for the year with the Cleveland Browns. Kevin Kevin Stefanski already announcing that Dorian Thompson Robinson is going to take his place in the starting lineup. So a lot to get into there. But considering the size of his contract and that he I think played the best game of his Cleveland career just last week. I mean, this is just as tough as a, as a pill as there is to swallow for the Cleveland Browns right now. No, it's tough. It's a setback, but they believe they're a good team. I spoke to people within their building already this morning when that news came out. And the truth of the matter is they they still see themselves as a six and three team and they're a squad that can make the playoffs. Um, They're going with DTR who in the preseason might've been the best player in all of football, not named Kenny Pickett. He was unbelievable in that that Thursday night uh, opening preseason game against the Jets got everyone really excited. And they threw him out there for a game of the regular season. He just wasn't ready yet. Now, the truth of the matter is they had Josh Dobbs on their roster and traded him for a, a seventh and a, and a conditional fifth, I think, to the Arizona Cardinals right before the start of the season. 
One of the reasons I did that was because they love DTR so much. They love this kid and how well he was playing that they felt confident they can trade Josh Dobbs and pick up a selection. So they did that. And now in hindsight, it's like, look at Josh Dobbs. He's going to be an MVP candidate if Minnesota keeps on winning. And here we are. And we've got a rookie out of UCLA. And we've got, uh, obviously, uh, you know, a PJ Walker who's still there. And it's just not the best situation. Uh, the contract, you know, what they saw on Sunday, Dave, that's, that's kind of what they've been hoping for 18 months, uh, you know, since they got him last March that like that kind of play in the fourth quarter, he separated, he broke that shoulder. It's a broken shoulder. He fractured, uh, you know, the, I don't even have the name of it, but it's the socket of the shoulder. He fractured it. And that was in the first half. He went 14 of 14 with a broken shoulder and had a sprained ankle, which is kind of buried in the highlights uh, of, of the game, but he sprained his ankle also. So, Say what you want about Deshaun Watson off the field, and everyone's going to say what they want to say. That guy was a warrior on Sunday, and he gutted out a really impressive and important win for the Browns. It's a major loss for them because I think everyone there thought they were turning the corner. And okay, if we can match even somewhat of a decent offense with this dominant defense, we're going to be okay. We're going to be straight going into the playoffs. Um, This is a huge setback to lose Watson as major. Yeah, and I mean, at the very least, I think this – I mean, it has to answer the storyline over the last five, six weeks about like, does Deshaun Watson want to play football? I mean, to gut through to gut through that injury, I, I think that answers it loud and clear. But like it's. I mean, there's nothing they can do about it because it's 230 million guaranteed. The money's spent no matter what. But I mean, when you consider the rehab process, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of time for him to re- rehab before next season. But mm. I mean, is is this situation salvageable even knowing that there's two years left on the deal? I mean, it's is all it guaranteed? I mean, it's all right. it, it has to be. There's nothing they can do. They can't get out of it. Then Daniel Jones's contract in, with the Giants, you eat it for one more year, you can kind of wiggle out of it. There's a lot of contracts around the league that, you know, when our our trusted insiders come out with the reports, it's like this guy signed for X amount of dollars. And then you realize, right. well, it's all back. And then it's heavy on like if he does this with 18 different incentives. Sean Watson's is the real deal. That is all guaranteed. He's made 90 million dollars over uh, his his Browns career. He's played in 11 games and he's not going to play in any more this season. So he's going to make you know more than uh, it's all guaranteed. So is it salvageable? Not unless he play, I mean, it don't, no one wants that contract. No one's trading for him now with a broken shoulder. So. Uh, truth be told, it's like you just have to grin and bear it and hope that they can get the the best they can out of whatever's backing them up. And then in the meantime, rely on this defense, which is a bunch of guys who are usually uh, underpaid because they're so young and they have such a young defense around Miles Garrett that they're able to benefit. They've got Ward and Garrett and they've got a bunch of guys who are playing way above what their expectations were and way above their salary level. It's like if they just get the bare minimum out of the quarterback position, well, I think they'll be contending. But gosh, like I said, uh, you want to talk about contracts in the history of sports this one is injury related so it's not like it's on Deshaun this situation but it'll it'll go down as one of the biggest head scratchers of all time because of how unprecedented it was and the fact that he just hasn't been on the field and if there was any doubt that it'll never happen again this situation just completely emphasizes why NFL owners were so up in arms about Jimmy Haslam being willing to do it it's I mean, I mean, you know, I think they knew they knew they were going to be without him for a long time in year one because of the allegations, because of the suspension that he wound up serving. But then I think you hope that year two is a lot better. So now it's now it goes from, well, you know, we've got three years to win and win big to now two more years of this thing. Like, you, I mean, the money's spent. So at some point it's not even worth worrying about. But man, 
it's it's got to be a deep deep run from Deshaun Watson at, in one of these next two years to make this even close to being worth it. And yeah. our, and honestly, even even and I mean, unless the Super Bowl comes out of this, I just I don't know how you how you justify it at the end of the day. And if they win a Super Bowl this year, which is not out of the I mean, we've seen Nick Foles take, you know, a team to the Super Bowl once Wentz went down. Like, it's not crazy to think that that someone else can lead them to Super Bowl. They got a really good defense in the AFC and the NFC this year in particular. Um, there's no like, this team is just unbeatable. I think the Chiefs could lose to the Browns. Like, it's possible. Um, but that won't be because it, it, Watson's not going to be the story if that happens. It's like, you know, it's whoever takes over at quarterback is the story. What's so maddening is that he was really good on Sunday and it was the first time he was really good for the Browns. And you're like, Oh my gosh, that's Deshaun Watson. And now he's done. One more thing on this before we move on to the next topic. I'm, I am, I'm, I'm interested, I guess surprise might not be the right word, but I'm interested that they are immediately going back to Dorian Thompson Robinson. And like, I don't blame him for struggling against the Ravens. Of course he did. That's the best defense in football. He's a rookie picked in the fifth round. That's supposed to happen, but it's Pittsburgh this week. It's AFC North football, even as up and down as PJ Walker has been. That's a veteran guy who has helped you win a couple of games. I am, I'm intrigued that they dove right into the deep end again with DTR. BTR's one game, like you said, it was against the Ravens. It was another deal where he wasn't sure he was starting until minutes before you know, the inactives are announced. And Deshaun Watson, it was declared that he couldn't go. Remember, it was a week four game. It was week five. It was early on in the season. There was a lot of expectation. He had already been the star of preseason. And then, you know, he wasn't ready. And he wasn't ready for that game. And that defense just kicked his butt. Um, I think in the month that has passed, they feel a lot more comfortable with his development. I would say this. We're recording this, you and I, on Wednesday. Don't be shocked if they trade and they can't trade if they sign somebody to like just be another veteran, you know, body. And that could be anybody. It could be a Colt McCoy. It could be someone else who's just done it before just to have another arm in there in case they need it. The other big news coming out of the AFC Buffalo offensive coordinator. I'm going to call him a scapegoat because that's what it felt like to me. Uh, fired by the Buffalo Bills on Tuesday morning after just the silliest game of football I can mm. remember watching in a while. Uh, yeah, I mean, that that's how I feel. I guess I don't want to opine too much, but coming out of that game, I know the Bills offense has been inconsistent, but that game specifically being the straw that broke the camel's back is interesting for me. What did you think about it? Yeah, it, you know, it, here's the deal. They're at the crossroads of the season. They're five and five and their next four games are against a Jets team that has one of the best def- defenses in football. Then they got the Eagles. Then they got the Chiefs and they got the Cowboys. So this is their season, right? And it was one of these deals. If we're going to do it and we're going to try to salvage this thing, we're going to try to shake it up. Now was the time. But I agree. Ken Dorsey didn't have 12 men on the field for a field goal. Ken Dorsey didn't fumble the ball like a basketball every time he touched it. Ken Dorsey isn't the reason um, that some of their defensive players have been injured this season and the defense isn't what it's been. He is in many ways a scapegoat, but it is also understood in that in this business, things have to be done and often teams will shake it up. And, um, you know, Ken was there when Brian Dable was there. Ken Ken worked it up. He was the quarterback's coach. Brian Dable leaves, and then Ken Dorsey the last two years was the offensive coordinator. Obviously, Josh Allen still is throwing interceptions. Josh Allen has not had the statistical seasons he had uh, in 2021 and 2022 or 2023. So the fingers are being pointed, and it'll go to Ken Dorsey, and he'll get another job, and he'll be in the league, and he'll be okay. Um, but now you look at Joe Brady, who's got an interesting story taking over. Now, as an LSU man, you appreciate – what he did uh, with the Tigers a couple of years back when he had Burrow and Chase and Jefferson and the whole gang. 
And they go on to have one of the greatest college seasons ever. He is the hottest name in football. And at 30, he's the offensive coordinator of the Carolina Panthers until he was fired also. So now it's a little redemption story for him. He's still only 33 years old and he gets a chance to be the man um, in Buffalo. And if they can somehow salvage this thing, well, then that's an awesome decision to fire Ken Dorsey. If they, you know, limp into the playoffs and miss it and go into January football and they miss it, well, then he was just one of many problems and they're going to have to address this offseason. I'm glad you brought up Joe so I didn't have to selfishly do it for my own reasons. But that is, it's an intriguing story. He was the hottest name in football for, I don't know, 11 months. And then he's very unceremoniously out in Carolina. And I, even as an LSU alum, I had kind of forgotten about him until I heard who was going to replace Ken Dorsey. What do you, what do you see as the potential upshot here for him? I mean, the, we know the, the ceiling is sky high for the Bills. It hasn't always looked like it this year, but we know what Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs can do when everything's clicking. I mean, this feels like a real chance for, for him to put himself back on the coaching radar. Yeah, and you watch them and, and the stuff you hear from other defensive coordinators, and I speak to a bunch, is that they just don't have the same sizzle, the same pop that they had in recent years. And you go back to week one of last year, they came into SoFi playing the defending champion LA Rams. They were That was a Ken Dorsey offense. It was freaking awesome. They moved right up and down the field and lit up the Rams. And it was like, oh my God, this team is unstoppable. And then as the season went on, defenses started to be able to fix it. Then Cincinnati absolutely you know, squashed them in the playoff game. And this year it just has not gotten going. Do you know they haven't scored 20 points in six straight games? You start seeing that stuff and it's like, all right, someone has to lose their job. It's just what it is. It's the NFL. It sucks. Now Joe Brady comes in. What if they start scoring 30? What if they start scoring mm-hmm. 35? What if Josh Allen starts looking like Josh Allen, who belongs on the cover of Madden like he was in August? Um, then suddenly it's you look at the one different change and it's like, oh, it just needed a different voice in his ear. And Joe Brady was the guy. So a huge upshot for him. Um, I know he and Ken are very close and those guys worked in unison over the last two seasons. So it's got to be an awkward situation for all parties. But Hell, it's 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 a dog eat dog world, and if he can get them going, well, then he'll be the man in Buffalo. Especially if he can get them back to the plane they were two years ago. I think everything you're saying makes sense, and yeah, sometimes I mean, sometimes something just has to change, and somebody's going to take the fall for that. But do you sense any panic on the Bills' side of things? Just, I mean, they they've run that division for so long; they've come so close several times. Yes. Yes, I do. I think this was a this not uh, panic, but like there's an urgency. How about that? I don't know if it's panic. There's an urgency. They know this is it. This is the week. You got this crazy stretch coming up. You know, you got the the, the Jets. Everyone will just write off the Jets and say, well, they're not going to lose to the Jets. Jets have one of the best defenses in football. Like you got to get right. Um, then you have a bye, and so then you can have a real prep time. And then you got that murderer's row of Eagles, Chiefs, Cowboys. Like this is it. So panic. Um, yeah, I think we're past the point of panic. I think this was, you know, this was a not desperation, but this was like, let's, let's pull the lever and see, because if we don't do it now, when, what's the point? I, I loved Josh Allen's phrasing on Monday night, the clock's ticking, which I'm, I'm not going to be the one to write the bills off, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's Philly, it's Kansas city shoot. I mean, throw in the jets with the way the jets have yeah. played against the bills, Dallas, it's Dallas. They got another game against Miami. I'm they not going to the Patriots, off, but I, I, it, the vibes are not great. The vibes are not great up in Western New York. We'll see how it goes. I did want to touch on one last thing. Speaking of mm-hmm. hot shot coordinators, 
I I don't remember a year where one of the hottest names, you know, typically the hotshot coordinators of the year are always the guys coordinating the offense and defense for the Super Bowl contenders. Yeah, yeah. But you had a chance to talk to Drew Petzing, who is raising eyebrows all over the league for what he's doing on one of the worst teams in the league. I'm <laughs> curious. He's for those that don't know, he's with the Arizona Cardinals. What what did you take away from that conversation? And and I mean, does Drew Petzing realize you know how much attention he's he's gathering around Isn't the league crazy? right now? Isn't it crazy? They've got two wins. Their offense is one of the most anemic in the league. They put up 58 yards of offense two weeks ago against the Browns, and yet. Everyone I talk to is like, this guy's a hot name. So in my podcast, I like to interview different coaches and GM. In a lot of cases, a lot of the young um, position coaches and offensive and defensive coordinators, I've been trying to get Drew because of what he was doing with Arizona. And I didn't know him well. I know he was with Stefanski for years in Minnesota. And then Stefanski took him to Cleveland. He's only 36 years old. One of these young offensive guys. And he and Kyler, I know, get along really well. So when Kyler comes back from the injury and it's looking like the Kyler of old, I thought it was a perfect time to interview him. What this guy brings is a little bit of that, um, that I hate to compare him to the other guys because there's only, you know, there's everyone says, oh, he's got like a little McVeigh to him. But these players talk to him like a peer and he talks to them with respect as if he's a coach, but also can level with them in a different way than maybe some of the older coaches in the league. And with Kyler, they had this open line of dialogue where he said, if you're here every day, like if you're around and you help us with Josh Dobbs and you help us with Clayton Toon, like you're going to learn this offense. It's a whole new verbiage, whole new schematic system. He's running what I would call the North Turner offense because that's where he learned it. And then Stefanski kind of fine tuned that a little bit. They run that over there. And this is all new to Kyler, who only knows Cliff Kingsbury's you know, air raid, whatever he was running. So in comes you know, this thing. And he was there every day. And he was there running the quarterback's room and he's there with, with, you know, Colt McCoy all summer and there with Josh Dobbs for most of the season and there with Clayton too. So that by the time he's able physically to get out there, he's not some lost cause. And I think the knock on Kyler is that always oh, a physical gift, but he never put the work in or he isn't, he isn't, uh, you know, good enough, like on the board, whatever you want to say, as far as his abilities, you know, from the neck up, Drew was telling me that like Kyler has been amazing. Kyler's been an awesome teammate, and it's a it's a fascinating time in Arizona because if they continue to lose, they might have the number one pick in the draft, and they might have to make a decision whether they want to stick with Kyler or go with a, another quarterback. But instead of Kyler just curling up in a ball and being gone or being a ghost during rehab, like he has been all in, which I think is a story that hasn't been told yet, and I was happy to get that out of Drew. The other wrinkle to that, and maybe you know, maybe I'm fast tracking Drew a little bit, but I mean, it, it's been so impressive how their offense has played, despite what I think most people would agree is a relative lack of talent. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to, I mean, it's interesting to think if Kyler takes to this offense and he looked pretty good in his first game back. I mean, by the time you get to the end of this season, will Drew Petzing be interviewing for better jobs by the time it's over? possibly but that's also that's the gift and the curse of having one of these young offensive coordinators like you get that job already eyebrows are raised when you're 36 years old and the team says well you're the man already around the league it's like okay well there's only other one other job that there's only one other place that can go if it's not down it's up and it's going to be the head coach and you know there's a long argument when it comes to coaching hires you hire uh, a great offensive coordinator you might, and you have a defensive head coach like Jonathan Gannon is, you might have to replace that offensive coordinator every single year if the team is having success. That's how the NFL goes. If you hire a great offensive coordinator who's also your head coach, well, then you've got that continuity. 
which is one of the reasons a lot of times you see the offensive guys get hired. It's like, well, if you work with the quarterback and the two gel, those are the most important positions. Let's just have that person as the head coach. So we never have to lose them. If you're a coordinator and you're really good and you're a hot shot and you got a defensive head coach, well, then you might very well leave if you have success on offense and take one of the head coaching jobs. How do you think a great example? We talk we talk so much about the Bears and, you know, they got to evaluate Justin Fields. They're going to have a high pick in the draft pretty much regardless what happens. But this is an interesting scenario where, I mean, you want Kyler to take to this offense and play well. But the flip side of that is winning games and maybe taking yourself out of that yeah. draft range. How do the Cardinals navigate that balance of like, hey, we got to see what Kyler can do for us while at the same time keeping an eye on the big picture as well? I think it's the former. I think it's go out there and play and try to win games. We can't be. It, this is a team that had the number three pick last year in the draft ended up trading it back a little bit uh the number one overall pick when they took kyler like they're not a good enough franchise to keep on saying well let's keep on trying to get that top pick i think this is we're paying kyler a ton of money he's on the hook we've already invested in kyler in so many ways let's try to win let's do the best job we can and if the chips fall a different way we'll see and reassess at the end of the season i can't wait to see it and i like I've, draft, like I draft is only a few months away, dude, and I cannot wait already because it's such a good I, quarterback class. I mean, the quarterback class, but even like I, I don't think I've ever been this interested in a, a quote unquote bad team because again, you don't you don't see a quarterback of Kyler's caliber get introduced into a team like this when when the season's already so far gone. And I'm not saying he's the best in the league, but like I think people have forgotten that Kyler Murray can do some amazing stuff on a football field. Third and ten. Gam in the line, down a point. He runs backwards 20 yards, does a pirouette, and runs 33 yards forward to get the first down and keep the drive alive. No one else can do that in the NFL. It's Kyler Murray. He might be the the most athletic and innovative and improvisational quarterback in the entire league, and he's still a thrill to watch. If you if you have NFL ticket, whatever, however you got to do it, find some watch time. Arizona. <laughs> Find some time to watch Arizona, not just for Kyler, but like Drew Petzing doing some really interesting stuff down there. They've got CJ Stroud this week. I I can't wait to see how that plays out. I'm really happy you had a chance to talk to him. Peter, cool. it's always fun catching up with you, man. We will uh, do this next week. Dude, it was great. If you're watching the video, these are my Sean Payton glasses. I don't know if we can do a side-by-side. Peyton a, very, a very stylish look for you this week. I dig it. Peyton wore these on Monday Night Football, and I just I just tweeted out with a picture of it, just drip check. So, do you have it. the uh, do you have the play sheet the size of like a yes. Waffle House menu? Giant menu, yes. <laughs> Whatever it was, it's been working. The, hey, valid. Or, I mean, I know I said we're leaving, but valid point. Denver three game winning streak, and two of those are against Buffalo and Kansas City. So your your Broncos are definitely not Come dead. On. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, dude. All right, we'll talk to you next time. Right after Peter and I recorded about Ken Dorsey, not surprisingly, Josh Allen had a chance to react to the news. Bill's quarterback talking to the media ahead of their game against the Jets pointed out, yeah, if the Bills were playing better, Ken Dorsey would still be employed. As Peter alluded to, you could even say there were way bigger problems with the Bills' performance than their offense on Monday night. Sometimes these things happen. Josh Allen says, without a doubt, he would still be employed if they were playing better. And I take that very personally. It hurts a lot to see someone you care about go through a situation like that and to know that if I could have done more, if this offense could have done more, we wouldn't have had to see something to do something like that. It's an unfortunate series of events that have led up to it. As much as you can sit here and feel sorry for yourself and you can sulk on what's going on, we've got a game to prepare for four days away. 
So you can't pay too much attention to it. That is the wild reality of the NFL. I mean, we're already most of the way through game week. The Bills have one, two more practices left, depending on when you're listening to this, before they get into a division game against the team that's already beaten them. I, If I'm a Bills fan, I'm hoping Josh Allen does take it very personally because with the issues, the injuries on defense, with some of the inconsistencies, I know Josh Allen can get into trouble playing hero ball, but I need Josh Allen going Super Saiyan, like from Dragon Ball Z, the rest of the way. I don't know that there is a path to success for Buffalo without Josh Allen being completely pissed off and trying to prove himself as an MVP caliber quarterback for the rest of the season. Now, you got to find a way to balance it because he can get, like I said, he can get into a lot of problems when he's pushing it, trying to do too much. You know the the stats with the turnovers, leads the league over the last five years, leads the league in picks this year with 11. Find a way to walk the line, Josh. Get with Joe Brady, get with Stephon Diggs, whatever you got to do, but the Bills aren't going anywhere without Josh Allen playing the best football of his career, probably. So I guess maybe that's a silver lining. It's not going to make Ken Dorsey feel any better, but if that awakened something in their quarterback that he can dig to a deeper level of play, I guess maybe that can salvage this situation. But an unfortunate one in Buffalo. Let's jump over to the other side of the league, the NFC. Equally as cold, though. Things are getting testy in Packerland, and it all surrounds wide receiver Christian Watson. I think this would this would be a bigger story if the Packers were a better football team, but the Packers have slipped to three and six for a second straight season. The vibe's not exactly great. Things not exactly going well since the Packers, I would say since their season opening win against the Bears, it's either been up and down or outright bad. I'll call it a controversy. I I think it counts based on some of the dialogue you're seeing around the Packers right now. Christian Watson having not a fun week in Green Bay Packer land, caught just two of seven targets against Pittsburgh. Green Bay loses to the Steelers 23 to 19 on Sunday. Two of seven targets dropped a pass, was involved in both of Jordan Love's interceptions, including the one that iced the game for the Steelers at the end. Like I said, this is this is a team that has dropped now three games below 500. It's all been bad for the Packers. There are definitely some flashes. I thought Jordan Love played one of his better games of the season in a losing effort just in terms of his process and the throws that he was making. But they're three and six. He's thrown double-digit interceptions. The receiving core doesn't look up to snuff. That's where Christian Watson comes in. The offensive line has been a jumble. Jordan Love comes to the defense of Christian Watson on Wednesday, though. He says, quote, when you're losing, a lot of people would point fingers and things like that. It happens. It comes with the territory. He's a professional. He knows that. That's everybody in the locker room. I told him to keep that confidence up, keep making plays, and move on to the next one. To some degree, I understand Packers fans' frustration. Christian Watson was drafted to be their big play guy. Packers drafted him out of North Dakota State last year, second round. It's the highest they've used a pick on a wide receiver in quite some time. On top of that, he already seemed to have his breakout. It feels like ancient history, but he had seven touchdowns in a basically a one-month span. Just completely broke out around this time last year. Remember, it was the three-touchdown day against Dallas in mid-November. Seven in a month. Looked like he was ready to take that leap, especially coming into his second season. Just hasn't happened to this point. 14 catches for 236 yards and and one touchdown. 
this is the most damning stat of all. He did miss three games with a hamstring injury. That's worth pointing out. But he comes out of this past week with the lowest catch rate of any receiver that's been targeted at least 30 times. So of guys that are playing regularly, that are big parts of their offenses, he's catching the least amount of passes. I think this this got lost in the conversation about the Packers. Probably there's so much fixation on the quarterback, on Jordan Love, how he's going to perform. It's easy to forget that damn near every other part of that offense is just as young as he is. Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, both in their second season. You got Jaden Reed, who has looked phenomenal, but is still a rookie. David Bakhtiari exits with an injury early on in the season. So even the the few veterans that you thought you were counting on, not very many of them left. Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon still there. But it's not just Jordan Love who's going to go through the growing pains of being an early NFL professional. It's half or more of your offense, and you're seeing it. I was... Pr- <laughs> I'll I'll fully admit I was probably too high on the Green Bay Packers. I probably didn't give that offense enough credit for how young it actually was. But this is what it looks like when you're trying to season multiple guys at once. I do. Granted, I'm not living and dying with every game every week, but I feel pretty good about the flashes I've seen from Jordan Love. I I think I said this on Sunday, on Monday. Every game, it seems like there's two or three moments that look really impressive, that look really big time from Jordan Love. There's just nothing in the way of consistency. I do really appreciate Jordan Love stepping up and giving Christian Watson a vote of confidence. That's what you want from your quarterback. We'll we'll see if it translates this week. Tough challenge, the way that the LA Chargers were playing offense against the Detroit Lions last week. This is going to be a tough one. I don't know how many wins are left on the Packers' schedule, at least not for the time being with the Chargers, Lions, Chiefs, all coming up, but I would just advise patience. The Packers were supposed to take lumps this year. They're probably taking more lumps than a lot of people expected, but it's all part of the process, right? One last news item I want to get to today, and that is Robert Sala talking about Aaron Rodgers' Achilles. Not something I want to spend a lot of time on. We did that this week. Go back to Tuesday's episode if you want. We had a whole segment about Rodgers potentially returning in December, whether it's feasible whether it's a good idea. So not a ton of time on this, but I did think it was interesting. Sala was asked about it during media availability this week. He said, quote, Aaron's a big boy, a grown man, and no one's going to know Aaron's body like Aaron knows his body. And if he feels after all the doctors clear him, I'm sure there's a million of them. I have no idea. But if Aaron says he wants to play, he's going to play. So that is interesting. If Aaron Rodgers can get himself healthy before the end of the regular season, The Jets coaching staff is going to let him play. That's what I talked about earlier this week is, is it a good idea to put him in so soon? Is it a good idea to let him play behind that offensive line? Sounds like the Jets think it is if he can get cleared. About as unsurprising a thing as I've heard if you've followed this Aaron Rodgers Jets saga at all. Aaron Rodgers has called every single shot of his time with the Jets. Before he was even traded, he was calling shots with the Jets, having meetings with them having a quote-unquote wish list, which he later denied having. But, you know, Randall Cobb and Alan Lazard wound up on that team somehow, so do with that information what you will. It's hardly surprising that the Jets would let him call this shot. So, now we wait. Will he be medically cleared? That's the question we just can't answer right now. But Aaron Rodgers clearly calls the shots in the New York Jets organization. We'll see where it goes from here.
With that, let's take it to Thursday Night Football. And oh my gosh, I don't have to sell this one. There's no Panthers. There's no Bears here. There's no teams with losing records, scrapping for relevancy. No, we got the big time on Thursday night. Cincinnati Bengals traveling to face the Baltimore Ravens in a good old-fashioned AFC North slobber knocker. I looked this up. This is this is the best. This is the best Thursday night game of the year. It's the first time since week four that the two teams playing both have a winning record. You have to go all the way back to Detroit against Green Bay for the last time this happened this season. And I mean, looking back on it, Packers were two and one, Lions were two and one. Both teams did have a winning record, but given that Green Bay has gone one and five since that game, that feels a little bit fraudulent to me. So easily the best most anticipated Thursday night matchup since that season opening game between the Chiefs and Lions. It's been a long time coming, but I know this game is going to be a banger. Big rebound opportunity for for teams that are are good at doing it. Lamar Jackson, 14-3 and for his career following a loss. Joe Burrow and the Bengals, since 2021, they're 9-4 and following a loss. These are two teams that typically when they get knocked down, they get up again. You're never going to keep them down. I can't believe I did that, but I did. It's fine. It's going to be a big setback for whoever loses this game. The Ravens, as dominant as they've been for most of the year, they would open the door for the Steelers to tie them atop the division. The Bengals, a loss, pretty much guarantees them to be in fourth place in their division for the next couple weeks. That's how rough it is in the AFC North right now. Five and five, good enough for dead last in the division. Plenty of reason for both of these teams to feel nervous. Rare occasion where they're both coming off of a loss. Ravens have let a fourth quarter lead slip in all three of their losses this season. That includes last week. They go up 31-17 at the start of the fourth quarter. They wind up losing to the Cleveland Browns. Seven turnovers in those three losses, whereas they have seven in their other seven games combined. So the Ravens either dominate or things really go off the rails. That's that's been the story so far this season. Give up a 14-point lead in 11 minutes to Cleveland. They lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers in a game that they just... I think I bring it up like every other day on this show because it's so insane how they managed to drop that many passes, turn the ball over that many times, and lose to a Steelers team that just has a habit of hanging around and letting the other team beat themselves. So, a lot to be nervous about in terms of the Bengals closing out big games or excuse me, the Ravens closing out big games. The Bengals, plenty to be concerned about in their own right, particularly for this matchup. I know the Ravens' offense is different under Todd Monken. They definitely throw the ball more willingly than they're they're used to. They still have the best rushing attack in football, and what timing, because the Cincinnati Bengals currently rank 30th in the league. They allow an average of 136 rushing yards per game, C.J. Stroud's amazing. The Houston Texans hit him up for 188 yards on the ground. Devin Singletary going off. And that Texans team is not one that has been awesome at running the ball this season. So between Lamar Jackson, Gus Edwards, Keaton Mitchell, take your pick. Bengals are going to have their hands full. There's more to get into there. And obviously the offenses are going to be the stars of the show. But the Ravens running game and how well the Bengals defend it Definitely something to watch. The big storyline for me, in terms of it, it's narrative's not even the right way to say it, but we could just 
call the race what it is at this point in the season. This is this is a must-win game for the Cincinnati Bengals, much more than the Baltimore Ravens, in my opinion, just because of what it means for the Bengals' odds of winning the division. What truly stands out for me, though, the storyline that I find the most fascinating is I typically shy away from phrases like must-win games, but this is a game the Cincinnati Bengals have to have if they're going to win the AFC North for a third straight year. And yes, Lamar Jackson's injuries have been part of it, but the Bengals have run the AFC North for two years. They've benefited from at least one home playoff game in both of their past two seasons. The run to the Super Bowl, I know they won road games. I know they beat the Titans and the Bills on the road. I know they've famously played very well at Arrowhead, but it's much easier to make a run through the playoffs when you get to start at home. The Bengals have benefited from winning the division. It's not going to happen if they don't win this game. They lose in Baltimore. They fall to 0-3 in the division and 0-2 against Baltimore. So even let's even if they make a run, the best they can do if they lose Thursday night is finishing 500 in the division, and they would have dropped both games to Baltimore. We already talked about it at the top of this. Say what you will about the Ravens. When Lamar Jackson is healthy and available, they don't lose multiple games. Never had a three-game losing streak under Lamar. If Baltimore wins this game, they go up three games on Cincinnati in the standings. They have both wins for tiebreaker purposes in the division. The Ravens aren't giving the division to Cincinnati if they win on Thursday. Now, we can talk about Pittsburgh and Cleveland all we want, but I think Cincinnati is a non-factor in winning the North if they don't win this game. Road wins have not been easy in the division for Cincinnati either. They are 3-6 and six in the North when Burrow has started. They've lost three out of their last four. It's a small sample size. He sat out the season finale against Cleveland. I get it. He's only one and two in Baltimore against the Ravens. It's not a ton of games, but for as much as we like the Bengals and favor them to win most of the games they've played, winning on the on the road in the division is hard to do. As much as we love Joey B and we talk about the Bengals being clutch in these types of moments, stats don't bear that out. Three and six on the road in the division. If the Ravens win, they're three and two in the North. They would have firm control of this. They don't have to play another division game after this until the season finale. That is the benefit of playing so many early in the season. You get all the way to week 18 before you have to deal with Pittsburgh. It would take a collapse like we haven't seen from Baltimore to let the Bengals back into this. So it's a big game for Baltimore, but it is a crucial game for Cincinnati because you can definitely make the playoffs as a wild card. It is possible to even make the Super Bowl as a wild card. It's incredibly hard to do. And if the Bengals can't get a win against the Ravens, that's what is in front of them because I don't see the division title happening this year if they don't get a win tonight. Who's in? Who's out for this game? What do the injuries look like? The Bengals will be without wide receiver T. Higgins. Hamstring injury. Defensive end Sam Hubbard also out. The Ravens will definitely be without left tackle Ronnie Stanley. That's a big one. Star cornerback Marlon Humphrey is also doubtful. I want to go back to Ronnie Stanley, though, because that's what leads to the matchup I'm most intrigued to see tonight, and that is the Ravens' left side against Bengals' right end, Trey Hendrickson, and that's what I just said about guys being out. The big, big development for the Bengals is that Hendrickson, he's been dealing with an injury for the last couple weeks. He is going to play in this game on short rest, full participation in practice. 
I'm sure the Bengals would love to have had Hubbard and Hendrickson, but if you're going to have one of them, they want the guy that is one of the engines of their defense, one of the most underrated pass rushers in the league, in my opinion. Hendrickson, seventh in, in the league with in sacks with eight and a half this year, tied for 13th among all players and pressures. He's got 20 of those. Pro football focus, if you're into that sort of thing, grades him as the fourth best pass rusher in the league. Only Miles Garrett, Nick Bosa, and Micah Parsons have been better on a game-in and game-out basis at generating pressure. Now, that would be important in its own right, but like I just said, Ronnie Stanley, wonderful player when he's healthy. Very underrated left tackle when he's there. Injuries have been an issue for him, though, over the last few years. He won't be there. Patrick McCarry, likely his replacement in the lineup. When he's played this year, he's allowed four sacks, two quarterback hits, seven quarterback hurries, 13 pressures. This is an incredibly favorable matchup for Trey Hendrickson, to put it lightly. It's the type of matchup where Hendrickson can affect the math of this game. I said it at the top. I'm guessing the Ravens are going to lean heavily on their run game to keep that from happening. But you do ultimately have to pass at some point, and Trey Hendrickson is a, is a guy that can change the math there if the Bengals are going to win this game and slow down Baltimore's offense. I think it starts there. I also think... This is potentially, it's a favorable situation of the Bengals choosing a good week to have a loss in terms of their roster. That would be T. Higgins. If you're not going to have T. Higgins for this game, it at least balances the equation a little bit that Marlon Humphrey also might not play. I think it, it lessens the resources that the Ravens have to focus on Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd, all the other options that Joe Burrow can throw to. So, I think the injury matchups in terms of who's in and who's out, I think it favors the Cincinnati Bengals. I still don't think this is going to be easy to do. Ravens are at home. I'm expecting a close game. I think I'm ultimately riding with the Baltimore Ravens, but whether I'm right or wrong, I'm just looking forward to what I think will be the best Thursday night matchup of the season. It's going to tell us a lot about who winds up on top of the toughest division in football this season. That does it for the show. Thursday night football. It's on deck. I hope it's fun. We'll be here to recap it on Friday morning. We will also have a full week 11 breakdown every game on the Sunday slate. We are also, we're going to step outside the box a little bit. That's what you do when the best game of the weekend is on Monday night. Eagles and Chiefs kicking off on Monday night football. We will also preview that in Friday's show. Until then, please go find us on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You know we've got a YouTube channel. Please go find it if you haven't. Wherever you get your podcasts, we will be there. Like I said, full Week 11 preview coming up next on Friday. Until then, I appreciate it so much, guys. This is always so much fun. I will catch you next time.